State. It's uh, oh, it is good to be back. We uh, we uh, got away as a family for a uh, a couple weeks and just had a, a great little holiday. And uh, but there's there's no place like home. It's so great just being back. And uh, and I know you guys have been continuing on the six week journey. It's been an uh, amazing series. And uh, and I've I've not been able obviously to be here the last couple weeks, but I know a lot of what you've been talking about. And I've done my best to lean into it alongside you. I know the one week uh, you would have talked about where your soul finds rest, and it, and it talks a lot about kind of you know how actually God God gave us food and things like that, and He uh, gave us relationships, and He wants us to have rest. So we leaned hard into that. We were actually on a cruise. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been on one of those, but uh, it, it's a great place if you want to just eat some food and, uh, and just kind of relax and rest and look around and not do a lot else. So it was a great uh, kind of restful time. Uh, one of the other, uh, who, who remembers as well, your soul, one, a couple of the other R's, we'll, we'll do a little pop quiz. I'll see how you've been doing while I'm away because I've heard rumors that actually no one's even been coming on Sundays when it's sort of like... He's away. And so, so what's your soul need for us? This is, I think, week two. So this is going to be like a hard pop quiz. Your soul needs... Rest. It needs rest. That's right. And it gets it. That's, that's good. So it needs rest, and it needs it. It gets it through. Yeah, seriously, no. Forget it. Like I'm done. So. <laughs> and, and what? No, what? It's a relationships. I heard one right there. It needs relationships. Your soul. We're built for relationships. God put us in the garden. Gave us, so relationships. How else do we get rest? Our souls. Responsibility. You got responsibility. God puts us in charge of things. We take and look after things. What else? Restraint, restraint. That was the one that we threw out the window for that little couple weeks. So I know your soul needs it, but we thought well, our soul can get that when we go home. So we got rid of, and, uh, and so rest, we get it through responsibility, restraint, relationships, uh, and, and one more. That's four. So that was good. It was a trick. It was a trick. I tricked you, and somebody got it. Those are the four. Rest, responsibility, uh, restraint. So anyway, we're going to move on to something new uh, today. So, but I hope you have been enjoying this great series. It's all about how do we get healthy on the inside, because when our souls are healthy, that's when uh, life goes well for us. That's when we can flourish, and this whole series has been about that, and getting to talk about it on Sundays, unpack it on Wednesdays, and we're going to get into a, a new question uh, this week, last week, talking about, you know, uh, what does our soul hold on to and this need for an anchor in this world? And this week we're going to ask this question, how is my soul helped? What helps my soul? And, uh, and as we kind of get into this, I was thinking, this week I was reminded I was actually creating an online account uh, for, for something, and uh, I can't even remember what. You create so many of those things. You got to create, you know, they, there's security questions and codes, and, and the question that, you know, you're filling it out, so in the future, when they wonder if it's you, you can answer it. Uh, it asked me the question, uh, what was your first job? And I was reminded of my first job, and, uh, and probably most of you can remember your first job, and, and my very first job, the first one where you had to actually show up at a certain time and, and fill out forms, and then they pay you and take your tax, all that stuff. First job, uh, for me, when I was about, it was 14 or 15, something like that, and my first job was as a dishwasher. I was going to, I was a dishwasher. I, I, my parents, it was summer, you got to get a job for the summer, look through the classifieds. That was in this thing, used to be called the newspaper, and I looked in the classifieds, uh, you know, the little help wanted, and they were hiring for a dishwasher at this restaurant. It's one of the kind of big restaurants in the area, you know, a couple levels, good food. It's kind of place if you want to take somebody special, oh, you go to Triple Crown, this really nice uh, restaurant, and they were hiring for dishwashers, and paying, I believe it was $4 and 
and 25 cents an hour. And so I thought, okay, there wasn't a lot on offer, but I went there. And so I went, you know, I submitted, you know, I, I didn't know how hard it would be to get a job or what this would look like, but I went the first day and I meet the, the kind of boss. I've never had a boss before, but the head chef or the head of the kitchen guy. And he shows me around and I thought, you know, will there be interviews? Maybe there'll be multiple interviews or layers to this process. I'm not sure. Uh, but it turned out perhaps it was not the most in-demand job in the world. And so... Day one, I went, it was less of an interview and more of, okay, so when can you start? And uh, so I'm like, well, I can start next week. They said, great. They showed me around the kitchen, and they introduced me to this guy. I think his name was Andre. I can't remember. We'll go with Andre. And Andre was the head dishwasher. And Andre was, uh, they took me, there were sort of two pieces doing the dishes. One was where you were like clearing plates, you know, dumping all the rubbish off, putting them in the little thing, not unlike what we got here, and then running through the machine. You got your rinser, you're cleaning. That part, not so bad. The other room, and where I met Andre, uh, was in like the pots and pans room. So there's this other room with the pots and pans. This is stuff you can't just kind of scrape off nice and easy. This is like get out, you know, industrial strength equipment, chisels things of that nature uh, to clean the equipment. So Andre's in there, and I'm like, oh, this will be my first boss. Andre, you know, hey, how you going? And uh, yeah, good, that'll be great. I'm like, Andre seems like a good guy. He's got a smile on his face, and he's working away in there. This will be really fun. So the next week, I come back for day one. And it was on a, on a Sunday, and they did a Sunday brunch. So there was a big buffet. It was known in the area for the giant Sunday brunch, you know. And so I, I come in, and I'm excited because, you know, this is day one, first job. And I walk in, and they're like, all right, you're on the pots and pans. And I'm like, great. And there is a pile bigger. It was not what I saw the week before. The pots are like, you know, there's like this giant tray and the pots and pans and trays. And all of it is just like you can't even hardly see the top. And like, you know, hey, where's... um. Where's Andre? <laughs> and they're like, oh, Andre? He quit about 45 minutes ago. He, uh, see what, where is he? Oh, yeah, last we saw him, he's wandering, you know, down the kind of main road, uttering curse words to himself. Like, no one's seen Andre. He's not coming back. You're on your own. And I'm like, what, what happened, you know? Well, basically, Andre came in, and, you know, there's supposed to be another couple dishwashers. Nobody showed up today, and, uh, and Andre kind of just was staring at all these pots and pans and blew a chip, and, yeah, he's gone now. So, there you go. Get to it. So that was my first day. And, uh, and so I'm in there, and I was like, and I'm cleaning all these things. And, and it was, you know, just like, wow. And then within, you know, a week, I was pretty much the ranking. I was now kind of the head dishwasher. I was sort of the, the ranking member of the dishwashing squad. And here's the thing about that. What I realized is it's not a, a job. That, and by the end of the summer, it was just like, you know, there's me and this one other guy, Joe. And that was, you know, we were, we were sort of the, the, the top level of leadership. We'd been promoted and they, you know, given us titles. And we began running conferences. It was a pretty cool thing. But anyways... <laughs> Uh, yeah, Joe and I, that's right. And, uh, we, we, uh, but here's what I, I realized is it's a job that, and at the end of the summer, despite my accolades and highly decorated nature as now a dishwasher, I decided to step on from that uh, career path and go back to high school, which was a good move in retrospect. And so, uh, but what I realized is this, it's not a job people tend to last in, and because what kind of probably sealed the deal for Andre, who may or may not have been a stable personality to begin with, but what probably sealed the deal for him was just like, when you are looking at these stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of just rubbish, 
dirty dishes, pots, pans, stuff that is not even easy to clean. You've got to scrape, you've got to scrub, your knuckles get bloody. Uh, it is hard work being a dishwasher. In fact, the rest of my life, my mom would be like, why don't you help with dishes around? I'm like, I did enough dishes that summer. I have fulfilled my quota for a lifetime. I can't, I know, I was great, but that's it. I'm retired, I choose not to dishwash. And so, but the thing is, you know, you wash uh, all these dishes and it just keeps coming at you. And on brunch day, while everyone's having a good time, you know what, the, the dishes come like never before. And he just got in this space where obviously he was looking at all this and going, I got nobody to help me, I got nobody here, I can't take washing another dish. And he literally blew a chip and hit the road. Now, the thing about how's your soul, and a lot of the work we've been doing and talking about over the last few weeks, but what it looks like to work on our souls so that we have a healthy soul, so that we can have a flourishing soul, so that we can have a healthy, flourishing, and effective life. One of the things about this is that at some point you also have to ask the question, you know, how is my soul going to be helped through the process? Because here's the, the stark reality of doing soul work and of being healthy on the inside is that no matter how much we'd love to think, you know what, that's it, I did those dishes, I cleaned that thing, it's all done. There is always more steps and more layers to this process. And no matter how at times you might feel, well, that's it. I cleaned those dishes. I can't do another dish. You know what? If we're going to be people who continue to live with healthy, effective, flourishing souls and healthy, effective, flourishing lives, uh, there's help. There are certain things that are going to help us on this journey because it's not uh, sort of a destination that that's it. I've got a healthy soul. I did a six-week thing. You know, I went every Wednesday. My soul's healthy. No more dishes to be washed. No, no, no. This is about, you know, having, living with a healthy soul is about an ongoing process and journey. And, what we, and there are certain things that will help us on that journey. Because when there's no help, it's easy to just kind of want to throw in the towel, say I'm done. So what helps us have a healthy, effective, flourishing soul so that we can have a healthy, effective, flourishing life. We're going to look at uh, a little story that gives us some great insight. Letter written by the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in these verses, Paul, now Paul is a guy who had a healthy, flourishing soul. Paul is a guy whose life left an impact. He wrote, you know, practically half the New Testament. He planted churches that basically every, most churches in the world really can uh, trace their roots back to the original work he did to begin churches and, and write letters to churches and help us understand what churches are to be. This is Paul. Now, Paul did not have an easy life. He had a lot he came into contact with, a lot of difficulty, adversity. Paul was someone who could count shipwrecks and lashings and stonings, not just like I've had them, but he could literally count what it was like to have these experiences. He had experienced everything that life can throw at a person in many ways, and yet he lived and led with a healthy soul. So we're going to see a couple of things that Paul got, and hopefully if we can get these, uh, this will be a part of us finding some help in what it looks like to live with a healthy soul. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16 uh, verse 5. Now, this is a letter. Paul's writing this to one of the churches. And this is getting towards the end of the letter. And he's just kind of talking to them about what he's going to do, where he's going to go, how he's going to live. So it gives us great insight into sort of how Paul went about his life. He says this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. 
For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a, a wide door for effective work has opened to me. A great phrase, effective work. Paul says, I see this place where there's going to be some effective work I can do. This is the kind of stuff I was built for and made for. I know it's going to be a good, effective work. I want to be about those things. He says, a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Now, here's what we see. Paul was someone who wanted to do effective work with his life. He wanted to give his life the things that mattered. He wanted to give his time the things that mattered. He sort of knew how God had made him. He'd done a lot of work on his own soul. Paul, when we first met him in the scriptures, his name was Saul. And he's a guy who's actually persecuting followers of Jesus and going after them. And his whole life is organized around that. But he knew what it was like to be interrupted by Jesus who meets him on this road, knocks him off his donkey, knocks him off the path that he was previously on. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. You're coming against me and I want you to follow me and I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. And Paul chose to then realign his life with Christ. So Paul knew what, what, it, what, is, what life was meant to be about. He had that experience. He wanted to be about effective work. And I think all of us, you know, a healthy soul and being healthy on the inside, we wanted to give rise to a life that is given to effective work and where we're doing the things that God has uniquely made us to do and called us to do and things that are going to matter long term. And Paul, what you see about him and what you see about how he lived his life in this passage, it's really an amazing passage if you read it. I mean, this is Paul who, you know, if you kind of did a, a quick analysis of his personality from reading the scriptures, what we know about him, he would always be classified as like the kind of type A personality. This is a guy who kind of just, here's what I'm going to do and nothing's going to stop me. I, you know, I don't care if there's shipwrecks, stonings. I don't care what's awaiting me. If I set my, my goal and my direction and where I'm going, Paul's like nothing. He, he's just like, hey, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I, nothing literally. He just always, he could go. But yet, look how he writes this letter about what he's going to do. He says, come back to verse 5. Just listen to some of the phrases that he uses. He says in verse 5, uh, he puts it like this. I will visit you after passing, can we go back to, to verse 5 if we can? And he says, I intend to pass through Macedonia. I intend to. And perhaps, perhaps I'll stay. And maybe even spend the winter so that you could help me on my journey where, wherever I go. It's a really fascinating, and then he goes on, and so he's, he's using all these phrases. This is what I intend to do. I, I perhaps will do. And he says, I don't want to see you now, but I, I hope to spend some time with you. I hope. If the Lord permits, you know, this is like, uh, as I understand it, this is how young people text each other, <laughs> you know, like, let's go to the movies and I hope that works out and maybe we'll see each other there. But if something better comes along, I may, we may not. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I almost said I'm not a young person, but then <laughs> I could feel you all saying, Dean, Dean, don't say that. You're young. Yeah, I know. So, but. Here's what's amazing about it is you, you get this picture. You're like, I mean, this is Paul, like, determined, go after it. Nothing stops me. But he writes him a letter, and it's filled with all this language of, here's what I want to do. Here's what I hope to do. And if the Lord permits, then maybe I will do this. And he's almost it's not like this kind of, so just what exactly is this going? Like, this language. You know what you see about Paul in these verses in the way he kind of talks here? Paul understood something that we're going to call surrender. 
Paul understood what it looked like to live a life of surrender to God and to his will. There's about two occasions where Paul really will articulate what he's going to do. And there's about five times that he sort of passes it on to, if the Lord permits, I hope to. And, and just, you know, and if God, there's, there's a door that's, you know, what you see is this. Paul understood surrender. And surrender looks like this. Surrender is when we allow our will, our decisions, our plans, our hopes to always be subject to what the Lord wants. A healthy soul, a flourishing soul, is a surrendered soul. It is a, a soul that has gone, has been able to wrestle with this reality that, you know what? No matter how much I'm planning on thinking on working towards seeing this, all of my life is subject to what God wants. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest frustrations I see, and I've seen people wholesale walk away from faith in Christ. I mean, wholesale because of disappointment that things did not work out the way they thought it should when they were following God. And one of the reasons that happens is when we, we are convinced that God's plans will inevitably line up exactly with my plans. And when those two things come to conflict, we can often experience disappointment. And, and we can allow disappointment, bitterness, things can begin to grow in our heart and our soul. But a healthy soul actually surrenders to God. It's a fascinating thing. Look at Paul. I mean, this is his, this is his kind of worldview. Paul, the type A, the get her done, all those things. Paul, you know what? These are the things I want to do. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, if the Lord permits, if the Lord, if the Lord wills it. This is what I'm hoping to do. I'm planning on it. He's not like I'm not doing nothing, not making no plans. But he understood that his plans, wills, hopes, dreams are all subject and yielded to what God desires. Surrender is absolutely core to a healthy soul. If we cannot accept the unpredictable nature of what it is like to follow Jesus... At some point, we will snap, say, this is not working, and we just kind of head the other way. Or we allow some disappointment, bitterness, and things to grow in our heart, and we continue to follow. But on the inside, there's some real frustration. Can I tell you, you know, Paul got this. A healthy soul is a surrendered soul. Paul's life was so unpredictable, so unpredictable. And he had grabbed hold of this reality. Do you know why I think sometimes we probably wrestle with this whole idea of surrender? I think we wrestle with surrender because the reality is we would all prefer a life that is a little bit more predictable than what surrender allows for. No matter how, how sort of, you know, pro-change and, and, you know, even if our personality type's out on the, you know, edge, it's sort of like we love new and ambiguity. You know, the, the reality is, as human beings, we will always seek a certain level of comfort in life, whatever that may be. And the reality is that following Jesus is not a comfortable journey. And to follow Jesus requires a certain degree of surrender of our plans, our hopes, our dreams. And, 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 and but it sometimes flies against everything inside us that just wants to know, look, Lord, I'll follow you, but you got to show me what's ahead. I'm not, I mean, are we up for this? I will, I hope, maybe. You know, in, in the Psalms, it talks about God's word in our life being like a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
I used to sing songs about that when I was a kid. And that phrase, you know, it sticks in your head. It's a beautiful phrase. It's lovely to sing when you're in a room like this. But the reality of that actual picture in the scriptures that God's word is like a lamp. A lamp, you know, they didn't have LED lighting in the ancient Hebrew times. They didn't have kind of, you know, we think of a lamp. I mean, we could stick one of these lamps on. That'd be nice on my feet. That's nice and bright. Would show a whole way in front of me. Guess what? In the ancient Hebrew times, a lamp was a dim, flickering wick burning some oil. And a lamp was only enough to see right in front of you. That light to your feet was only enough to see just a little bit ahead. We would all like high beam headlights on our feet when we follow Christ, wouldn't we? I would. I find myself all the time, Lord, could you just tell me what, what you know, what's it going to, what's the future going to hold? What's, what, if we go this way and, you know, then God, how's this going to play out? But surrender says, you know what, I can't see what's up ahead, but Lord, if you show me what's right in front of me, I'll take that step. I, I don't, I have no idea what's going to be step 10. I'll just take the step that's in front of me. And that's hard. It's a lot easier and more fun to think about step 10 or 11, because it's just way out in the future. Anybody ever do this? I mentioned, you know, in February, we were doing in our family uh, fabulous February, which expired approximately the time that we stepped onto the cruise ship. And the whole idea of fabulous February is, well, you know, we weren't going to watch TV. We got rid of sugar, a lot of those kind of luxury things, you know. And, and here's the thing. Has anyone ever done this? You're going to make a health change, a diet change, something like that. And so you decide it, but you're like, so you know when I'm going to start eating like that? You know, tomorrow. Or Monday, today's Friday. Friday's a terrible day to start, you know, changing what you're going to eat. You know, or, or you know what, uh, let's next month, you know, we probably decided to do Fabulous February like last April or something, you know. Uh, next February would be a great time to make some change. But you ever do this as well? You're like, you know what, I know I'm going to start eating healthy on, on Monday, so I better just eat all the junk I can now. <laughs> Ever do that? It's just like, you know what, that's, I mean, this is, it feels like it makes a lot of logic. It's a lot of sense. Like, yes, of course, if we're going to not eat, you know, sugar on Monday, well, we better make sure our bodies get all the sugar they might need to store up, like a bear getting ready to hibernate, you know? Like, that's it. I'll have the cake and I'll have, you know, also the pavlova and the sticky day. I'll have, you know, uh, and, you know, you're just like, because it is, that's good. Thank you for the honesty. It's like, that is, you know, it is always easier to think about, you know what, down there, I'll do that thing. But surrender says, right now, what's the step in front of you? What's the one step that's in front of you? Instead of thinking about how great it's going to be someday when then I'll make those changes, but surrender says, what's right in front of you? What's God asking of you now? What is like the one step and no further? Surrender is only as current as that decision in that one moment. And surrender, but a healthy soul is a surrendered soul. You know, I, I, I love this picture of uh, surrender in Paul's life. Because I think unless we are willing to kind of make, live that kind of life that allows, yields our time, our choices to God, and actually sees what's that next step, and I'll take that next step. If that is the, it's the only way to follow Christ. But you know, there's an interesting thing that can also happen with this whole idea of surrender. And, and that's it. You know, the, the one side of the coin is we have to live in this tension of what we want, but then what, what God wants, and actually surrendering, yielding to him. But have you ever met somebody who is like, their surrender, you just kind of wonder, but like, it's almost like it starts to make you feel bad about your level of surrender. Like, they're so surrendered that when they talk about how they're listening to the Lord on this and that, you're like, am I a bad follower of Jesus? Because Like, I, I remember hearing a story once that, uh, about this person who was like, 
so surrendered that I won't even get up out of the bed in the morning until I hear Jesus say, it's time to get up and out of bed. That's pretty surrendered, you know, you're, yeah, right. And then, you know, I'm like, if, if I laid in bed until Jesus told me it was time to get out, I would just sit there running scripture over in my head, particularly, I, I believe it's Psalm 127, it's one of my life verses that the Lord gives rest to those he loves. <laughs> You read it. Psalm 127, I think it might be 18. It says, you know, it's in vain you wake up early. That's what God's word says. And it's in vain, it says, that you stay up late toiling for food to eat because the Lord gives rest to those he loves. So I would sit, I would lay in my bed listening to the words of Jesus just wash over me. You know, he gives rest to those he loves. Thank you for loving me, Lord. I'll just, anyway. The point is this, like we all know there, this is a tension that we have to live with and it's possible to get so surrendered that it's actually almost a little bit strange or it's almost, so, almost a little bit like, I, I, is this still healthy at that point? Is it, you know what, that one of, I want you to see something else Paul had in place in his life that actually helps us. I think there's, there's, there's going to be two big things we see we need today. We need to have a surrendered soul, but there's something else we need in our lives. As Paul keeps writing, he's writing this letter. He's starting to wrap it up. And this is some of the things he begins to talk about. He says this in verse 10. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to, to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. Just like, it's not at all his will to come now. I'm going to start replying to like different things. Like, it's not at all my will to be at that. I just, it's kind of a great phrase. It feels like it kind of says a lot. It was not at all his will to come now. Hey, Paul, is he going to come? It's not even a little bit his will to come right now. You know, so. But he will come when he has opportunity. There you go. How's ambiguity for you there? But Apollos, he's like, I, I urged him to come visit you. Now, he keeps going on. He's writing this letter. He, he goes ahead in verse 15. He says, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus, his house, his family, his whole household, they were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. That's Stephanus. That's his family. That's what they're about. And he goes on a couple more in verse 17. Paul says this, I rejoice, I feel so good, I'm so joyful at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. I love the name Fortunatus. If you want to give your son a destiny in life, <laughs> name him Fortunatus. Like, seriously, everybody, the rest of them, Fortunatus, right? I just, for real, you've given somebody a destiny with that name. Because they, Paul says, I rejoice at their coming, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. You know what I love about these few short verses? In verse 19, there's one more even. He doesn't even stop here. In verse 19, he says this. He says, uh, the churches of Asia, they send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, they send you hearty greetings in the Lord. He talks about this other church with Priscilla. You know what's amazing? Paul, in his letter, talking about all things he will do, might do, he quickly rattles off the names of seven people with, who are uh, important in his life and in the lives of the people he's writing to. 
Do you know what a, a healthy soul is? Surrendered soul. And healthy soul is a surrounded soul. Paul, we see his life, he was surrounded by people. He was surrounded, and all of his letters are like this. The beginning and the end, you'll see Paul always, not kind of just, here's what I'm, he's always, there are always people whose names just, they just flow out of him. They just pop out in his writings. These are the people that refresh my soul. These are the people that have come to me. These are people I'm sending your way because I love being with them, and you're going to love it too. And, and look what Timothy's doing. And he's, Paul is surrounded by people. Do you know, when we are surrounded by people, when we have I mean, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we could all just rattle off? These are seven people that I just love. They refresh my spirit to be with them. They're, I'd love for you to get to meet them because they're amazing. You know, when we are surrounded by people, this is part of what helps us have a healthy soul. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about how when we isolate ourselves, we, we lose all kind of judgment. You know, an isolated person cuts himself off from sound judgment. The more isolated we become, sometimes the less perspective that we have. Do you know what we need sometimes when we're trying to surrender to the Lord's will and understand what he wants for us and make decisions and go forward and figure out what's happening? You know what we need is people around us who surround us and help us stay on that journey. You know, it doesn't seem to happen as much on shows anymore as far as I can see. But one of my favorite parts of reality TV shows, when they used to do the singing, you know, shows, your, your, your Australian idols, the shows like that, when those shows used to be on, the first two to three weeks was filled with the audition rounds. And back in the day, I don't know if it happens as much, I'm talking, you know, kind of mid-naughties, you know, kind of maybe 05, 06, 07. In their heyday, those first two, three weeks were filled with just uh, complete comedy. It was just like one person after another uh, doing their audition with very little uh, singing talent. And they would just be, uh, in my mind, hilarious. And that you can, uh, you can, tell me about my lack of judgment later, but the reality is it was clearly entertaining to a lot of people. One of the best of all time was on American Idol, and there was a guy named William Hung. Does anybody remember William Hung? This guy, yeah, it's just zero singing ability, like worse than zero. It was, and it was so bad, it began trending, and it was so bad that he actually got to even record some music, you know? He, he did a Ricky Martin song, there was some great, but that you used to watch these shows and these people go up and you just cringed and it's why they did it for the first few weeks and you just cringed and thought, where are your friends, <laughs> you know? <laughs> where are your friends right now? I've seen them in the waiting room. You didn't go there by yourself and you'd look at them and be like, why would you let this happen to your friend? <laughs> what was every one of those people missing in their audition? Someone close enough to them to say, this is not a good idea. I love that, I love that you got a dream here. I love that you feel like the Lord is leading you to be a superstar. I love, I love that you're doing, but they need a friend to go, let's just do a little karaoke, see how that goes first, you know? Like let's, why, why start on national television? Maybe we should build up. Let's just employ a little bit of wisdom here. You know, when a healthy soul, when you are not surrounded by people, to bring some wisdom, to bring some insight, to bring some, hey, have you thought about some people in your life? You and I need people in our lives who can say, that's just not a great idea. You know, and every, every one of us needs that. And a healthy, so Paul's trying, can I tell you something? When you put together, as I think you see a bit in Paul's life here, this whole idea of living a 
surrendered life. Lord, I'm surrendered to what you want. Show me the next step. Help me to take the next step. Help me to be in step with your spirit. Help me to know where you're calling. Lord, I can't see way down the road, but help me to know what I need to do right here, right now, today. And when you put that together with actually surrounding yourself with people who can speak into your life, with people who can encourage you, with people who can help you, you know, when you think you've got a great idea, say maybe not a great idea, or I know you're frustrated about this, but have you ever saw it like that? When you actually have people surrounding you and you put those things together, you begin to live and have a healthier soul. See, the reality of having a healthy soul It's not that you kind of go six weeks and the dishes are all clean and it's great on the inside. It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's a constant process. It's not kind of once and done. And as we go on this process of saying, God, I want to live with a healthy soul, we need need to live a life where we start with the perspective of being surrendered and we need to surround ourselves with people who can bring wisdom and insight, sound judgment into our lives and travel that with us. You know, I, I don't know if you've with this. I don't know if you've um, been around on the Wednesday nights. You know, one of the reasons that we've on Wednesday nights been gathering around tables uh, it, to dialogue about this is so that we start to to actually have people who are in the circle of our life, people who can be that surrounding to us. It's why we do things like, you know, the six-week journey or our connect groups or encourage people to meet in twos and threes and journey groups because we all need people around us who can speak into our lives. Wednesday night, I was at a table with some guys up at our Marowa campus, and there was a guy at our table who about uh, six weeks ago uh, was at a, a low point, maybe not even six, maybe five weeks ago, had hit a low point in his life. An uh, older guy going through some real challenges, you know, uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, older, older than myself, and, and he came in one day just to our cafe and, and happened to start having a, a conversation, and we had a conversation. He's had some conversations with some other guys, and he began to kind of come along for this six-week journey. And this is not a guy who, you know, is a follower of Christ, and, and he's kind of exploring all this stuff and trying to figure it out. And after a few weeks of, of, of this journey, and, and he's, he's, he's at this table, and we were talking on Wednesday, you know, four or five of us around this table about what it's like to have that anchor for your soul and the challenges and the things that when you start on a journey, like he's starting on a journey, how some things can come against you and make you want to give up on this journey. And towards the end of that night, he looked at kind of the four or five of us and he said, you know, he said, you know what I've got? And he said, you know, four weeks ago, if you'd have told me I'd have been sitting around a table, listening to something like that and talking about the stuff we've been talking about, I would not have, would not have, you know, given you the time of day. Would not have happened. He said, and now here, he's like, what I realize now is when we talk about this, you know, hey, when you get tempted to get blown off, he goes, you know what I realize is now, he goes, I've got a table now. This is his exact word. He said, I have a table now. And if I find myself in difficulty, once this thing is done, I'm going to come on a Sunday and I'm going to grab you and I'm going to say, hey, this is what's going on. Can you help me out through it? And every guy around the table, exactly right. You got exactly what this is all about. You know, this is what every one of us needs is to be surrounded by people as we take this unpredictable, rocky, who knows exactly what's going to happen. I don't know what's ahead for you. You know what's ahead for me. But we're going to take this incredibly adventurous journey of following Jesus and surrendering to whatever he's got for us out there. And we need to be surrounded by people who will be there with us on that journey. 
Can I encourage you, you know, one of the big challenges, and you might be there, and you say, you know what, I, I think that's great. I wish I was like Paul. I wish I could rattle seven names off. I wish I, wish I had people, but you don't know what it's like. Nobody, uh, nobody even remembers my name. Nobody says hello to me. I, I'm trying to find people, or, or nobody's invited me out for coffee, or nobody's invited me to a table, or nobody's, can I just, you know one of the crazy things about relationships that makes them so hard? It's like our greatest hurts in life can come from relationships, but they also are the places of our greatest healing. And many people will end up, because there's hurt there, maybe it's the hurt of just feeling lonely or feeling isolated or feeling like no one cares, can end up distancing ourselves even more from relationships. There's all kinds of things that push us to isolate ourselves. The greatest challenge is to be intentional, intentional about pursuing those relationships. And one of the things that it may require is actually saying, you know, who are you moving towards? Who can you reach out to? Who can you invite for a coffee? Who can you get to know this week? Who can you send a text to and say, how are you going? My friend, one of my best friends at university and I, his name was Trent. And when we were both single, we used to always have this thing. We'd see like a guy and a girl together and we'd be like, we're way cooler than that guy. Why does he have a girl and we don't? <laughs> so... <laughs> We, we kind of cut ourselves off from that sound judgment. You know, we weren't totally isolated, but we were wrapped in a loop of, you know. So anyway, so we'd be out, and we'd be like, look at that guy. How does he have a girl? And we don't. And then we always developed this thing. We're always like, you know what? You know what he did? He asked. And we'd be like, we, we might be cooler than him, objectively speaking, but he asked. And you know what? Now, by the grace of God in both our lives, we got to the point of uh, asking. And, but here's my point. It's always so easy to look out and think, man, they've got so many friends. It must be going so well for them. People just like them. They gravitate. Why does nobody come talk to me? You know, look, I see this person. Or Dean, you're on stage. You probably have 100 friends or something, you know. At least 1% of these people can't think you're crazy. You know, like... It must be easy for you or, or this other person. You must or, oh, man, look at their Facebook. Clearly everybody likes them on there. Can I tell you something? We all think like everybody's just, the people who have people around them are not just, it doesn't happen by chance. They are people who intentionally pursue relationships. Every single person, myself included, has those times where you just go, why doesn't anybody think about me? Why didn't anybody reach out to me? Why didn't any, you know what? We all have the choice to say, who am I reaching out to? Who am I moving towards? If we're going to surround a healthy soul that flourishes is surrendered to Christ and is surrounded by people. And that only happens when we become intentional about both of those things. But can I tell you something? Imagine this week. Imagine this week if you chose to begin every day surrendering your day. Lord, this is my schedule. This is what's ahead for me. This is what I'm doing and thinking about. But Lord, I want you to know on this day, I am surrendered to you. This is what I planned. It's what I'm going to do. But Lord, if you got something different, if you got an unexpected appointment for me, if you got something that I don't see coming, I surrender to that. Help me to be open to what you want to do in my life today. Help me to be surrendered. Imagine we started our days like that. And imagine this week we said, you know what? Who can I move toward? How can I be intentional at not isolating myself? So much of this world pushes us to isolate ourselves. I'm too busy. I'm too hurt. I'm too this. I'm too that. This week, what can I do to be intentional? Who can I invite? Who can I just send a text to? Who can I message? Who can I grab after a service and say, you know what? Let's grab a coffee together. Can I tell you I'm going? Or better yet, how are you going? Let me just listen. Imagine if we live those kind of surrendered. And surrounded lives, I think we could end up a lot like Paul, 
on a crazy adventure with Christ where you never know exactly what's ahead, but with the people around you who help you keep processing, who help you keep cleaning the junk off your soul, who help you keep going on this wild adventure of following Christ. I want to give you just a moment this morning to just sit in some quiet. I won't ask you to do anything else, but to just sit for a moment and just ask yourself, you know, is there something that the Lord is speaking to you about today? Is there one of those two things? Maybe it's about being more surrendered. Maybe it's about being more surrounded. But, you know, is there something that the Lord would be speaking to you about? That, you know what, maybe this is that next step. Or maybe this is the way to begin to frame your circumstances. This is what surrender might look like for you this week. Or maybe that's just, you, you'll know this sense that, you know what, Lord, I need to I need to reach out to somebody. I need to reach out to some people. I need to start moving towards people. But I want to encourage you just to bow your head, to close your eyes, to just have just a minute or two of just some quiet. What might the Lord say to you about what might help your soul in the season, in the moment that you find yourself in today? And I'll pray for all of us in just a couple of minutes here. Lord, in this moment, I just want to just ask that for each one of us, we would be able to hear that leading of your spirit. Lord, we'd understand what it is to surrender. We'd be taking those steps that you light right in front of us. We'd live lives that are yielded to you. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's here and feeling that sense of isolation or loneliness that, Lord, you would... Begin to fill them with that courage to reach out. Lord, whatever barriers might keep them feeling more isolated, that God, you would begin to remove those barriers. Begin to foster something on the inside, the willingness and the courage to reach out to others.
Pray that, Lord, we might be a, a whole community of people who are looking out for one another, who are thinking constantly who we can look out for and reach out to. That, Lord, we might, as your church, be a place where we surround one another in good times and in bad. That, Lord, on this journey of following Jesus and the unexpected things that come, that we might not go on that journey alone. Lord, I pray for a deep sense of unity and oneness amongst us. People always willing to lose our lives for the sake of another. People whose eyes just look for who we can strengthen, encourage, build up. And that in that, there would just be powerful experience of what we saw in that Acts 2 church, their oneness with one another on the journey. Lord, would you do it amongst us by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.